Hello, listeners. Welcome to episode three of the Gotta Be Gaming podcast, where we invite you to join us as we discuss games of the past, present, and future. I'm one of your hosts, Aaron, and with me, as always, is my good friend, Steven. Hey there. If you haven't already done so, we highly suggest checking out our previously released introduction episode, where we tell you a little about ourselves and kind of lay out the format of the show. And if you enjoy what you hear, please consider following us and letting us know on social media. Share the podcast with a friend, leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. All of those things will help us reach more listeners and will make us ever, ever, ever so grateful. We'd love to hear from you, and we hope that you have subscribed and are excited about new content. Now, before we jump into our reviews, Stephen, I just wanted to check in because it has been a few weeks since we launched or since at least since we recorded our first few episodes because we kind of did those in advance. So you and I haven't actually been able to podcast. I was going to kind of catch everybody up and catch you up. I have had some Internet issues, probably not unlike the rest of the world. So since we podcasted last, this coronavirus has sort of taken over. America and now people are in quarantine and working from home and internet connections everywhere are feeling the wrath of more kids gaming all day long while their parents are trying to use Zoom to do teleconference work. And my internet kind of crashed basically for about two weeks. I got it fixed today, so I am super excited to be able to online game again. I haven't been able to do that. I haven't been able to hold a connection down to podcast. It's been brutal for someone who reviews movies and plays games as a hobby. It's just been terrible, man. Uh, but I was wondering, like, what is, what's it been like for you? Because you're working from home now. So has your gaming habits been infected by the coronavirus at all? I don't think they've really been changed that much besides, I guess, the other things I enjoy, like uh, watching sports, NCAA March Madness canceled. I had tickets to go to the opening two rounds in Spokane. Brutal. So Brutal. I I just have my tickets. They're on my desk right now. And yeah, they went unused. So that was a bummer. That'll be interesting because you'll get a refund, but you'll still have the tickets. So you can maybe frame them and like always remember that time that Gonzaga was almost a one seed in Spokane. (laughs) Yeah, I I finally got actually got my refund today, too. I think they took the full 10 days. They said they were going to give me. So it makes sense. I mean, it's got to be hard financially. But no gaming changes? No gaming during lunch breaks or in the middle of the day? Uh, just yesterday, I hopped on someone's Twitch stream, Emma Fife, and yeah, just played a little hide-and-go-seek with Animal Crossing. But other than that, I've been trying to be good. But well, that, yeah, That's terrible. You need to be bad. You need to be gaming all the time. You got to switch. You should be gaming when you go to the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> TMI, for sure. TMI. Yeah, TMI. Well, it has definitely not affected my gaming habits. I mean, the the outage for the internet was pretty awful and affected my gaming habits. I was still able to play many of the games I've been into because I haven't really had a hankering to play too much online stuff. I was a little bummed I couldn't play some Rocket League. Uh, The season just reset, and I wanted to do some end-of-season kind of cleanup and didn't get to do that. So now I'm excited to be able to play that again with the start of a new season. But... Overall, I just played a bunch of offline stuff. It just kind of mentally drained me, like not having the options. It's first world problems for sure, and I will 100% acknowledge that. But, you know, we get used to having multiple consoles that are always online. And part of it was the game that I downloaded that I'm going to try and talk about on our next episode a week from now. Um, That's my older game. It took like 
nearly a hundred gigabytes download combined. And for the first time in my life, it took me over a full day, like 26, 28 hours to get this done. It was awful. <laughs> and again, I have like super fast, you know, a gigabyte connection. So I'm not used to that at all, but I'm glad it's over. I'm glad that's in the past and I'm back to normal. We're back to normal. We can get to playing what we want to play. And we are going to start as we usually do with our backlog. So the first game we're going to talk about in the backlog, and actually both of these are really games that you have been playing. I have been kind of locked into new games of recent time, and so I'll contribute a little more in that section, and I'll piggyback off of you here. But the first one we want to talk about is Dead Cells. And Dead Cells is a roguelike Metroidvania video game. Surprise, surprise, if you've listened to our first couple episodes, you'll know this is Steven's kind of go-to genre. Eventually, he'll play them all, and you guys will have to hear about something else. But for now, we're just going to go through all of them. This is just the Metroidvania podcast. But this game was developed and published by Motion Twin, and following about a year in early access, Dead Cells came out for Linux, Mac, Microsoft Windows, Switch, PlayStation 4, and Xbox One in August of 2018. So it's everywhere, basically. It also has a free unpaid, that's a, that's redundant, a free DLC that is out there that came out a bit ago, and then its first paid DLC called The Bad Seed came out in February of 2020, and I believe, if I'm not mistaken, that that's kind of what triggered Steven getting back into the game, but you can tell us, man, what, what happened, and uh, how has your Dead Cells experience been? Uh, I guess I'll give a first brief synopsis of what the game's kind of like. So like Aaron said, it's a roguelike Metrovania. Um, so what happens is you're this character, and when you fire up the game, you're given two options. You're actually given three weapons to choose from, and you get to pick two of those out of those three. And so what you do is you go through these levels, and each time you die, you restart the game from the beginning, and the levels change. They're randomly generated every time you play, so each playthrough is never the same. And when the weapons you start with are never the same. What determines what weapons you get is, as you're playing through the game and you're defeating bad guys, you're getting these cells. And when you get these cells, in between each stage, you can cash them in, and you can buy these blueprints, which will unlock weapons for you. And you get these blueprints by random drops when you defeat bad guys too but if you die before you get to the end of the level you will lose the blueprints and the cells no soup but, for you <laughs> so yeah so that goal is to at least get through the end of each level when you do get to the end of each level you can spend your cells on upgrades like they have uh, new grenades new weapons new powers new shields and new mutations and as you're playing through the levels, you can get these scrolls, which allow you to update three different categories, which are brutality, tactics, and survival. And when you upgrade these, they give you an, they have a option for a percentage of your health that you can increase, as well as a power boost for that skill. And so when I play the game, I tend to like to use the brutality and the tactics weapons. So mm -hmm. like the brutality weapons are kind of like, melee daggers swords yeah. and the tactics are kind of like turrets that you can use or blades that you can throw on the ground and anybody that runs across they'll chop them up stuff like that 
the mutations are, I don't really know too much about the mutations because I haven't really used too much of them. I think they're mainly like poisons, stuff like that. Yeah, they're very randomized. And they're, I mean, they're, they're, they will, they will boost your percentages in various things, whether it's, you know, your DPS in your brutality weapons or in your tactics weapons. Sometimes they'll lessen the delay time. So for the tactics weapons that you're talking about, like the turrets, which are also a favorite thing of mine, pretty much in every game, I love turrets, man, because anytime I can throw something down on the screen and let it do the work for me while I sit back and like pop it with arrows or even if just run up and hit it a couple times with a strong blade or something, I love turrets. Um, but that's what happens is some of those mutations will specifically affect the cooldown timer so that you can use it more often, which is really cool. Yeah, so like on this past weekend, I beat the game finally for the first time after having it since launch. And that kind of the rollout I went with was a, I had a dagger plus this crossbow that would, you'd fire it and it would pull the guy close to you and then you'd shoot three arrows off in the spray as well as a turret and then this slammer grenade where you would throw it down and when a bad guy would come across of it, it would smack them and do a high DPS with them. And so all of those were purple. And so it got to the point where anytime I got a scroll to upgrade stuff, I was just upgrading purple. Even if it was only increasing a 4% of my health, I wanted that DPS. And since everything was purple, that's all I worried about. I didn't need to worry about upgrading my green or my my red. So I just hammered that purple home, and it was really nice. So that's one of my favorite things about games like this, right, is that synergy is really what it's all about. It's all about finding the perfect grouping of the perfect storm of two weapons with a tactics with a grenade it's all like you said it's all purple so every time you upgrade purple you're actually increasing your abilities in the whole board like every single area you're getting better and it's all about kind of finding that unique set of abilities that works for you on a run and it's i'm gonna talk about that in a game that we discuss later actually for me but I, it's it's a really common thing in roguelikes and roguelites. And that's one of the things that I like about Dead Cells is it, it reminds me a lot of what is probably my favorite indie game of all time right now, which is Rogue Legacy, where you start a run, you know, you go through this castle each time over and over and over. And, you know, you have to collect and come back in order to bank those things. And it's just a very common design now. The difference in this one and a rogue like, so there's a really good video I watched on this recently. And if you're listening to this and you're unfamiliar, the difference between rogue like, L-I-K-E and rogue light, L-I-T-E. Uh, there's a video maker on YouTube called Game Makers Toolkit. We absolutely love him. My daughter and I watch his videos all the time. And he has one that specifically calls out the differences in this, these two genres, subgenres. And it really mostly boils down to in a rogue like L-I-K-E, you don't get the benefit of increasing your power in between runs. It, you know, you, it's like binding of Isaac. You start the same at the beginning of every single game and you find stuff and you hopefully get those synergies and you have to beat the game in that one run. Dead cells like rogue legacy, you are slowly able to increase your ability to be better. And I think Dead Cells is more rogue-like than Rogue Legacy because, like in Rogue Legacy, the reason I love it, Steven, is because I'm terrible at games these days. 
And so I need the help, right? So like when I play a game and I'm able to basically, basically I'm able to go through the castle in Rogue Legacy a hundred times. Eventually I can win because I can get powerful. Eventually. It may take me forever, but I will always be able to win. Skill does not come into question. In Dead Cells, it's like a middle ground, right? Because you don't start with these incredible abilities. You just unlock them and they're their ability to become randomly generated. So now they are there out in the world for you to get. And so you can kind of start off more powerful early on, which lets you build up each run in a better way, but you still have to have some skill in order to be successful at this game, at least in my opinion. Yeah, I can definitely see yeah, the skills kind of important because one of the things I like about the game is, is when you get this, just this flow going like with, you have the gun, the weapons you like, you can throw a turret, you jump up a level, you attack guys with melees while the turrets are taking out these bigger guys. And you just get this flow of just, you're just button, just the smoothness of the button mashing. And it's good, nice flow that I like with that, that sells. Yeah. Now, what do you think about the art style? Cause it's kind of got a different, unique art style. A lot of indie games will go with this route. It's like, I would, it's not quite like, it's, it's pixelated, I guess is the word I would use. It almost, it almost has a blur to it, but it's still pretty. And your character moves really fast. I like the functionality of your character. I think that he's, you know, he's swift and it, the responsiveness of movement is pretty great. I don't particularly love the jumping i seem to not be able to double jump quite as high as i'm used to in games and that throws me off a bit but for the most part i like the controlling of this character the, with the controls one thing i had to run to issue when i fired this back up was i think i just played super metroid and the default jump button for dead cells was different than the jump button in metroidvania or super metroid so then luckily the you can customize the controls in dead cells so i had to customize that and switch it to the jump that was the same as my super metroid because that's where my button was that's where my finger was instantly going so that's that was a nice smart. customizable thing that this game added yeah that's actually really smart for a game like this i think all metroid type games platformers in general should do that and let you customize where the buttons are i mean this seems like just a, an accessibility function that really should be on almost any, every video game these days <laughs> it doesn't seem like it's something that should be that hard to program yeah, definitely. Does this game have any, like, I haven't really dug into it nearly as much as you. I've played quite a few runs, but haven't gotten super far. Uh, does it have any, like, challenge modes to it? Uh, they do have this daily challenge time mode. So what happens in that mode is you, um, there's a countdown timer. And it's like, I think it's four minutes. And you're given one weapon instead of two, like you are normally in the game. And you just, go through and the bad guys are a lot harder. Uh, the difficulty yeah, just is amped up and you get points by how long you survive basically. So what happened was, is I uh, was going through and I died like instantly and I got two points. So I was like, Oh, that was weird. Then I played it again. And I got like, 12 points because I made it just a little bit farther. So it's just kind of that nice, kind of reward there for kind of gauging how far you were just by the points you got so it kind of helps you like it gives you that visual stimulant you're like oh okay i see the number going up 
based on how far I get. And so it's, yeah. you just keep pushing just a little bit further to get that number to go up. That makes sense. Yeah. And it's, it, from what I remembered, it's not, uh, it doesn't randomly generate. So it's going to be the same level every time. So then it's more of that just getting the points rather than trying to get to the end. You want to get the higher points and get to the end at the same time. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. I like that as far as like a good change of pace, I would say. Yeah. I definitely agree with that. So I don't know how you heard about this game, Aaron, but I heard about it from a coworker who he was playing the early access on the PC. And so he came into work one day and he kind of brought up, oh, there's this game where you get these cool weapons. You kind of go through these things like he talked about the 300 Spartan kick where you just kick guys against the wall. I, I saw that today for the first time and I didn't get it yet. Is it pretty cool? One thing that's really nice about it is, is, um, if you have like a, an, a bomb that can freeze guys, you can freeze them and then you can do the Spartan kick and you kick them against a wall and where they get, if they hit the wall, they get even more damage done to them. So they just kind of explode into pieces just because you hit them against the wall. Oh, fun. That sounds very thematic. <laughs> yeah. It's very nice. Um, and so when talking with him about it, that kind of added to the more fun once I was finally able to get the game because Another coworker also bought the game. So then daily, we'd come into work and we'd be like, okay, what weapons did you use? What paths did you take? Because there's different paths in the game. You can take, um, when you go through the main level, you can either go to the dungeon or you can go up top and get to the mainland. Then from there, you can go like the towers, you can get to this clock tower, or you can just stay mainland, go across bridges. And so we just kind of discussed like what path we took, what levels we liked, what guns, what weapons were the best loadout we felt like they were most comfortable with. It was just like a good daily kind of, hey, this is fun. Even though it's a single-player game, there's this nice multiplayer element to it because you can just talk about the variety within the game. That's pretty cool. I would totally understand that. And I think that games like this that are run-based, like roguelikes, are really good for that. And just being able to tell your friends about, like, oh, there's this run that I had, and here were the synergies that I was able to come together with and everything just worked. And then, you know, your friend wants to try and copy that when they can. So they're like, oh, the next time they're doing their game, they're like, oh, okay, I'm going to try this combination of weapons and tactical things that Steven used and see if that, you know, affects my gameplay. Any. Maybe it's good for me. I actually had a gaming weekend with my friends this past weekend. We do it every year for March Madness we get together for three or four days and we usually have a bunch of TVs on the background watching uh, basketball games but this year it was just video gaming and one of my buddies did fire up dead cells during this and it was it's just a fun game to watch somebody play too not all games are like that there are plenty of video games that I just I can't watch somebody play they're just not entertaining to me in that way but dead cells I found myself kind of sitting back and just watching somebody being like okay I'm watching you you know, flow with your freezing bow and then you're, you know, and seeing it's fun to see how each person, you know, approaches the game and the combat in a different way because you're not locked into doing it the same way by any means. And you're kind of forced to try out new types. Yeah, I really like it as well. I think it's a really good game. It's definitely worth the price. And I think we both highly recommend checking that one out. Yes, I agree. Definitely a game that everyone should check out because it is a lot of fun. And then another game I've been playing, Aaron, kind of leads into the game you're going to talk about here in a little bit, is Peggle. Now, Peggle is a game I had no experience with. 
heard about it, talked about it a lot on, I think it's the Xbox, the only thing it's probably been on. Didn't do that kind of research, but I figured, I think I owned it, so I looked it up and I did. So I just downloaded it. It was the 360 version, so it was Pego 1 that I was able to download on my Xbox One. And one thing I could say about it, it, it is addicting. It's a game that kind of give you background. It's kind of like this bubble bobble meets Blinko meets Brick Breakers, kind of, I guess, the best way I can kind of Pretty good description, yeah. And Brick Breaker is a game I love. Like, it's just a simple, easy puzzle game where you just bounce the ball up and down with your brick. It's really fun. It's a game I've always liked. And Blinko from Price is Right. So I figured, can't go wrong with this game. And, yeah, it's simple. It's addicting to play. You go through the levels pretty quickly. I felt like it was a little easy. Um, I think it took probably the first three or four worlds until I actually had to do multiple playthroughs of a to clear a map you have to get so many i forget what it is do you remember what it is aaron what exactly you have to clear each level uh generally you have to clear all of i believe it's the orange pegs but you in order to beat the level but i, I don't remember peggle specifically i haven't played peggle in years years yeah this is pretty <laughs> old game but yeah so there's a certain amount of yeah colors you're supposed to clear to get through each level and then there's a little thing at the bottom that's kind of a catcher kind of like in pinball where if you get it in that hole that moves from right to left, you get a free ball. So it kind of does add that pinball element to this game, because you have so many balls that you have to beat the level in, or you have to restart. One of the best ways I guess I can describe this game is is that it's a mom game. It's the type of game that my mom plays. My mom's a big bubble bobble, Tetris, puzzle-type gamer. So it's kind of the best way for me to describe it. There's no real lot of replayability for me once I beat a level. I was kind of done with it. Um, I don't see a need to go back and try to get better, higher scores. But what I will say I really enjoyed about it is when you have that last peg that you have to get, it goes into this like super slow mode, slow motion mode, and just kind of adds this element of suspense of whether you actually got the ball into the right angle to get that final piece. And that was kind of a nice tense ability to it. Yeah, no, no doubt. That is a very good feeling in the games that are made like this. And so I was addicted to Peggle as well back in the day in the 360 era. And after that, I believe it was also on PC. And now Peggle has been put on mobile phones in some sort of awful, like free to play money grub kind of edition. As far as I remember, I checked it out at one point and was turned off by in-app purchases, as most games do nowadays and uh, for me peggle 2 is really where it was at peggle was amazing but peggle 2 adds player powers so essentially you have characters right and they all have a unique ability to them and so that is fun because it changes up the gameplay considerably one of my favorite characters and i'm gonna i hope i'm not getting this wrong because i haven't played it in forever but i put in so many hours into that game man i think it was bjorn the unicorn and he had this ability to project the line of where his ball is going to land, but not only where his ball is going to land, but it would like show you the angle going off of that ball, like off of that peg three or four different times. So you could plan out, you know, that's part of the thing of Peggle. Part of the challenge is like, where on that peg are you going to hit it? And then where, what angle is it going to shoot off at? And you're always trying to kind of do that and maximize 
where your ball's going. And in his, you could really plan that out with the angles. And I just always found that like kind of really awesome. I'm, I guess I'm bad at geometry naturally. And so it helped me to be able to visualize it and cheat essentially with his little player power. But it's awesome. Um, the designs just get better in Peggle 2. The level designs are cool. Uh, they, you know, will frequently like be a display of something like you might see an apple like shape on the screen or something like that that you're trying to break out. And uh, I've always loved Peggle. It's just one of my favorite like dinker games ever. So would you find yourself replaying it each level, though, to get those high scores or when you're done with a level, were you done? I did replay Peggle 2 way more often because you could do the same level with multiple different characters, which would often change it completely when you've got these different powers, right? Um, and so I liked doing that in Peggle 2, and also there were achievements. So I was going for all of the achievements. So, you know, whether it's <laughs> nice. high scores or, you know, getting a certain amount of combinations in whatever, you know, hitting a certain amount of different colored pegs and you know doing xyz it was always fun to go for those little mini accomplishments within my game so i think it's very highly replayable um, at least it was for me but again that's mostly peggle 2 so um, i would definitely recommend both of those games though and that's actually the perfect transition for us steven because the first game that I want to talk about in our what we're playing section for current games is a new release that is based off of Peggle. And this game is called Round Guard. It is described as a bouncy dungeon crawler with pinball physics, lots of loot, and a randomized castle of levels. It is highly, highly influenced by Peggle, and it's out for Nintendo Switch, PlayStation 4, and Xbox One and Microsoft Windows. It's made by a very small indie developer team here in my home city of Seattle called Wonderbelly Games. It came out on March 13th, 2020. This is one of the, I believe, launch games for Apple Arcade. I don't have Apple anymore, so I didn't get to even dabble in Apple Arcade and play around with that, but uh, I had heard about this when I was listening to reviews of Apple Arcade when it first launched, and all I needed to hear was roguelike, roguelite, dungeon, crawler, and peggle. And like, I was like, oh, okay, hi. So we're just going to throw everything that I love together into one package and see what comes out. So I, this was high on my anticipation list. I bought it the night it came out. Uh, that first weekend, my kids and I put in a ton of time and I've continued to play this run after run after run. It is an absolute blast and like Peggle 2, um, it is really, I think, bolstered by the fact that it has different character types. So like a normal dungeon crawler, this has three classes. It has a rogue, a warrior, and a wizard. And the game plays very differently depending on which of these characters you are. Um, each character has up to two spells. You start with one that is randomized, and then... You can upgrade your spells, your weapon, your armor, uh, and then you can also get a passive, uh, like a headgear that gives you a passive ability. And so you can get up to two spells at one point, or abilities, I guess you should call them. They're wizard spells for the wizard. And it changes how you play the game. And so 
you know, it's, it's much like Peggle. It's a bunch of pegs across the board. The difference being is that they are pots, just little pots like you'd find in a link game, honestly, and potions. You've got mana potions, you've got health potions, and so you're bouncing around hitting those. It's got a really cute little art style. Um, the faces animate on the, so you're shooting the characters. That's what's really cool. So you have like this little roly poly warrior guy with a beard and a war, you know, a Viking hat and he's got his axe. And as the game slows down when he's going for that last shot, right? Just like Peggle, he like throws his hands out and like gets a big grin on his face. He's like, wee, you know, as he's about to hit that, it's, it's the most fun thing ever. So if you like it in Peggle, you will love in round guard when it goes into the slow motion. Um, and so they, like I said, they all play differently. So for example, the rogue has a really helpful mobility tool to him at the bottom of each level. And they are randomized levels, unlike Peggle. So you will play the same levels over and over and over again, but it's the design is much like Slay the Spire. If you've played it, it's one of my favorite indie games. Um, and in Slay the Spire, you're kind of starting at a bottom and you're trying to climb a tower. And so you're like taking branching paths and some of those paths will lead you to monsters. Some will lead to worse monsters. Some will lead to treasure rooms. And so depending on where your ball falls at the end of a level that you're successful or your, your character, I guess in this game, you will take one of those branching paths. So you may want to go to the right, but if your bouncing takes you into the hole in the left, then you're going on a different path. And during the normal levels, before you get to that point, there are spikes. And of course, it hurts you if you miss and you hit the spikes. Unlike, I think, Peggle, it's just a, a like the void, right? <laughs> it's just the bottom of the screen. Just the ball just goes off the screen. But you lose hit points in this game if you hit the spikes. And so, you know, you're always worried about keeping yourself alive. And, uh, and so you also have a cushion that is moving left to right at the bottom of the screen. And if you land on the cushion, your shot is over and you will reset and be able to fire again without losing hit points. So that's your goal. That's what you really want to do. Um, when you don't have control of the, the character after you fire him off, and it's cute, man, because the way the animation works is it's like a big crossbow at the top of the screen and your character draws back and fires your character out of the crossbow um, at the angle, it's it's fun. And so the rogue, what I was saying is his mobility, he has something called a double jump. And so if you get that, it's one of his, you know, six or so abilities you can have. He will freeze in midair and you'll get a little arrow and you have like a split second or two where you can aim the arrow and fire him. So you can save him from falling or, you know, aim him at the cushion and, you know, you fall less. But because of that, he doesn't do as much damage. The warrior does a ton of damage, but the warrior has zero mobility functions. Like when you fire the warrior off, he goes where he goes. <laughs> and that's really all you can do. The wizard is like um, a middle point for both of those. The wizard has some mobility tools, but they're not as strongly affectable like the rogues. Like the rogues, like I said, you can kind of have an arrow and tell him where you want to go. But with a wizard, it's more like you can drop a frog below you. And when you drop the, the, the frog, your wizard will shoot up at the angle the frog is going opposite. But, you know, you still don't really tell it exactly where to go. So it's like a middle ground. And 
the whole goal of the game is to fight your way through three levels. You're descending into the dungeon. The end of each act or whatever, you have a boss fight, so you've got to go through three big boss fights. And if you win, then you show up on the leaderboard with your time to complete it. And I believe also how many... What was the other function? I don't remember, but I know there's a timed leaderboard for sure uh, to see how quickly you can do it. But your gold is what you're really trying to increase. So the global leaderboards track how much money you make. And, you know, when you smash pots, you get money. You can do the same thing that we were talking about in Dead Cells with synergies. You can get abilities that allow you to get extra money every time you smash a pot or maybe you get mana at the start of every level level and so then when you finish certain parts of this game you get to spin this wheel and then at the end of each game even when you die you get to spin a wheel and based on how much money you made that run you will get a passive ability that your next character will start with so a really good one is all armor starts or all armor weapons and abilities will start at rare or above. So if you start with that on your next character, it kind of like dead cells, right? Like your next run is going to have the potential to start off stronger because you're going to get better stuff in the beginning. And then it increases exponentially from whatever you started with all the way through. Super fun game, man. Totally, totally addictive. Uh, like Peggle, the level designs are pictures. There's one that is the 100 emoji sign that we laughed out loud about. Uh, there's another one that is a, a bow and an arrow shooting across the screen. They're really fun to find. And it's the same levels, but they're randomized. So they're not in the same order, which kind of makes each run a little bit unique. You don't get quite as burnout, I think. I've been able to play this for hours on end. And then... When you win a run, you unlock a relic. And I believe there's like 13 relics. And this is where replayability comes in uh, for something for someone like you. Like you were saying, you know, like once you got through it the first time, you didn't feel the need to keep going and peggle. Well, these relics give players a reason to keep going. And so they change the condition of the game. So, for example, like the relic that we we beat it one time. I'll tell that story in a second. It's depressing. But we beat it one time, we as a group, I will say, and uh, we unlocked this relic and the relic was it makes more treasure rooms throughout the game. So you get the opportunity to get more gear. Well, in doing so, you also are shooting yourself of more enemies to fight. So there's a trade off like you get more upgrades, but you are actually accumulating less treasure overall money-wise because you're not killing as many things along the way. And so then if you beat the game with that special condition attached, then you master that relic. So replayability-wise, you kind of have the ability to go through this game and try to master all these 13 relics. You try to get them and then master them. Um, of course, you can always try to beat it with each character. I'm hoping that they add new characters. Uh, there's definitely the ability to do that. Um, that would be something that got me really excited is to find out there's you know, a cleric that has this new ability set and to play with that one. So we've beaten it twice and I, I beat it first and I did it with a character and got about 500,000 gold or something like that. And I was super duper proud. I was the first one in the family to do it. And my daughter 
has generally been better at games than I have recently. And she was the one who was taking turns with me, and she was feeling uh, some kind of way about me being the first one to beat the game. And so she was like, well, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to put you in your place. I was like, no, you're not. And so she picked up the controller, and she started trying to outdo me. Because, of course, what else are you going to do but like have that little friendly competition? I'm going to beat you, you're going to beat me. And she failed two or three times trying to use the wizard. And then all of a sudden, dude, she found this combo, like you were talking about, she got this perfect marriage of abilities um her the the passive boosts on the armor and the weapon that she had worked like magic no pun intended she was the wizard with the spells that she was using and she was able to just rack up a massive amount of gold i think i had like 500,000 that i was bragging about when i beat it she rolls through this sucker and beats the game with like 1.2 million. And she's like number 17 in the world at that point on opening day. And I'm just, I was, I was in tears. I, I was so embarrassed. Like I can't beat my own daughter at games anymore. Um, and it was, but it was a really cool familial experience, you know, just taking turns like that. So I think it's perfect for couch co-op. Just you're not really playing it together, but taking turns with your friends or family members. And I highly, highly recommend Round Garden. But is there proof that the high score was hers, or is it under your name? So it's funny because some, some of my buddies talked to me about that too. Uh, we played this one all under my account. Oftentimes we will do that because I don't want to split up the progress. You know, like I want to unlock all the relics. And if we're going to do that, the fastest way to do it is to take turns on one account. So it definitely does not have anything that specifies this was Ashlyn's high score. Uh, but she will tell anybody who asks, don't worry. She'll never let me lie about it. All right. That's what daughters are for, I guess, to keep you honest. Absolutely. So, yeah, Round Guard's awesome, man. And I think that if you liked Peggle at all, that Round Guard is, it's hard to say that it's better in every way, but it is maybe better in every way than Peggle, too. I mean, it is, ooh, I really, really love it. It's, it's a, legitimate game of the year contender for me like i threw it on my tracking list for game of the year so when i come across this game that just blows me away i put it on this list and then at the end of the year i'll come back and i'll kind of evaluate what's on that list it's an indie game and it's very simple but it does everything perfectly and it's so tight in its gameplay and i just i so addictive that i couldn't put it down definitely does sound like a nice combo of the Two games we've talked about so far with Dead Cells and Peggle, so definitely yeah. something maybe I will check out. Yeah, for sure. Good point there. Well, the other game that we have been playing is a new release, and if you listened to our first ever episode of this podcast, we discussed Ori and the Blind Forest, and we did that kind of intentionally, knowing that there was a sequel coming right around the corner, and that sequel is now out. Ori and the Will of the Wisps is a platform adventure Metroidvania-style game uh, it's a direct sequel to Ori and the Blind Forest, developed by Moon Studios, published by Xbox Game Studios, and it came out on March 11th, 2020. Unlike Ori and the Blind Forest, this game will not be coming to Nintendo Switch. According to the developers, it is an Xbox, a Microsoft exclusive, but Steven and I were super hyped for this one. We both put it in immediately when it launched and played through it, and so, yeah, here's our experience with that. Steven, you want to kick us off? Yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, I think we actually recorded a podcast maybe that night, the night it came out at 9 p.m. since we're West Coast. So 
think we both immediately went and downloaded it the second we got off the recording of the podcast. But, uh, yeah, for this game, it's like, it's pretty much like Aaron said, it's direct sequel to Ori and the Blind Forest, so it's pretty much the same game. Uh, you're just this little character, kind of like a rabbit looking character, and you're going through this world that's absolutely gorgeous. I think they definitely upped the graphics quality for this sequel. You can tell that better technology, they are able to improve what they're doing with their art style. Kind of what they, they added to this game is, there's a game that I really love for the past decade called Hollow Knight, which is another Metroidvania, kind of the same style. You got this sword. And they pretty much took a lot of that game and they added it to this game. So there's these um, shards that you get with this game that are your abilities. And you can only hold at the beginning of the game three of these things at the same at one time. And as you progress through the game, you can add more shards and you can increase the number that you can hold at a time, as well as buying a map to see what your world looks like. Because when you start out, you just it just updates the map as you go through the game. But you can find this character, you can up buy a map, then all of a sudden the whole map for that area unlocks for you. And that's something that's directly taken from Hollow Knight and probably other games. So th- initially that's what caught my eye with this game, what brought me to it, and what kind of what made me enjoy it quite a bit. I know, Aaron, I think you said this might be one of the best platformers you've played in a while, but for me it was like, yeah, I think I prefer Hollow Knight, but uh, so it's hard for me to tell you, you know, which one I think is better. But for me, Hollow Knight kind of initially is what I liked a lot more. Yeah, I would definitely say this is right there with my favorite platformers of all time. Both Ori games are there. And and this really just improves on Ori and the Blind Forest in every way, in my opinion, other than performance. So the one big negative of this game, and I will be honest, this was became a significant hindrance over the course of playing it, is the performance. It is absolutely stunning and clearly taxing the top level of what the Xbox One X can put out because I was getting game pauses and stuttering and you were not at first, you were like, wow, I haven't experienced that. But then by the end of your game, you started having that too. And it was all over, you know, Twitter, people were reporting this. It, it, dude, there were moments where I kid you not, I froze for 60 plus seconds at a time on the screen. There was a boss fight where I was, you know, one of the boss fights, they're very traditional. You have like three stages of a boss fight. And the first stage, you're killing it down to a certain point, And then you kind of initiate like a little bit of a chase scene and a cut scene. Well, I would kill it down the half of its health, pretty lengthy process. And the game would glitch, and then the screen would stutter, and like some of the pixels would disappear, and then it would throw me back at the beginning of the boss fight, just without like without starting it over. Like the the game wouldn't stop and restart; it would just put me back in the middle of the screen, and the boss would get its health back, and we would start over. I had to do it five times, five times. That's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. I never saw that. I never saw yeah. anything like that. Terrible. So. I can't, like, just pretend that that didn't happen. That being said, I believe that they're working on a patch if they haven't already gotten one out. That is the only problem I had with the game was performance. Much like Control in 2019, I loved every bit of that game except performance. Hindered my experience. So outside of that, Ori, for me, was phenomenal. Uh, I thought that the new uh, the shard system that is kind of revamped here 
allowed for a ton of versatility. Uh, you have all of these abilities and you can actually choose which ones you want to activate at any given time. Um, in Ori, it's more traditional where you're following these three skill trees, you're unlocking things as you go, and once you have them, you have them. This one, you start off with, I want to say like three empty spots. Is that right? Yeah, for shards? Three. Yeah. And part of what you find, one of the collectibles you're finding across the world is the ability to unlock these new shard spots for you to put a new ability in. And you can ultimately get up to six, seven, eight, something like that. Um, and as you do that, you know, you're gaining the ability to be a more versatile, well-rounded character. And it, it, again, this is what's so cool about games like this that let you play your way. They let you change it to your style. For me, I love not having to hold a button to climb. So when I jump on something that is a surface that is vertical on a wall, I don't want to hold the trigger down in like, that's what you do in Ori and the Blind Forest. You have to hold the trigger. And it took me a long time to stop holding the trigger, even though I had this stinking button, this, this shard activated. But eventually I learned... All I got to do is jump and I just stick to the wall. I loved that. Somebody else might not need that or care about it. And so they don't need to waste their spot on it. Maybe they go all damage modifiers and just barrel through the game, you know, like uh, like a, a combat veteran or something. I am not really great at games anymore. So I put on a whole bunch of defensive buffs to like give myself more health cells and to mitigate the damage that I'm receiving. Uh, and then there's other abilities that affect the plant, the way you platform the game. Um, in addition to one of my favorite things from Ori and the Blind Forest, where there's this like mechanic that you jump up in the air, you hold a trigger down, and you freeze on a bullet or on a piece of, you know, something in the world, and then you get an arrow and you can rocket fire yourself in that direction in that angle. This one adds this cool thing where. If you come upon these like little tiny tree branches that are sticking out horizontally from a big tree, you can spin on them really fast and they'll shoot you super high up into the air and let you like launch into all these air combo moves. It's just, I think that is what I love about Ori is it's a beautiful world and I love traversing it. I love the platforming in this world. Another thing that I really loved about the world was this game added NPCs. Like there was those little meerkat creatures at the beginning. They kind of, and once I saw those, I was like, Aaron's going to love these guys. They're like little cat creatures. He's you were correct. And they're super cute. So that was one thing that, yeah, this game added that was great because there's like this toad you run into that you get to talk to. There's a bear you get to talk to. It's just the world felt more alive than it did with the Blind Forest because it was just kind of you in the Blind Forest. But this, you got all these characters you're interacting with, you're buying stuff from, you're getting your upgrades from, you're doing side quests for. That's another nice little improvement they added to this game is they'll have you go do like go fetch something for them or go look in this area. I can't find this thing. Can you find it for me type quests? And I felt like gave the game more depth and more variety than just running to one area, getting an upgrade and going to some other area you couldn't go to before. Oh, no doubt. It was cool to have that hub world, uh, Wellspring Glade, where, like you said, you can go back and you can get vendors and side quests. And, and like it was a place you could go when you wanted to relax and real like you it was a part of the world that was not dangerous <laughs> there were no enemies roaming around in that little section you could just go back there you could improve it you could you know change the landscape make it more accessible to get higher and go lower and unlock all of your 
you know, energy and life cells and stuff. That was really cool as well. And then I like the addition of this weapon wheel. So it reminded me a lot of the latest Ratchet and Clank game for PS4 that came out several years ago. It's one of my favorite series. And Ratchet is known for all of these unique weapons. And you are supposed to use all of them and enjoy using all of them, right? Frequently. And you would hold down a trigger and you'd be able to go around this wheel and pick the weapon you wanted to use and then boom, use it and then quickly switch to another one to use that one for a different situation. And Ori is the same way. So you have this wheel where all of your abilities and your weapons lie and you can assign them to buttons at any time. And often I had to do that. I had to find myself quickly alternating between them in order to solve puzzles or because one weapon was effective against a certain enemy type and then I needed to fight a different enemy type as soon as I walked across the screen and I needed to quickly switch and go to something that was better serviced for fighting that thing. One thing I thought I did run into with that was is I kept hitting the button. So I'd be like in a boss battle and my finger would slip because I think it was LB instead of left trigger. So I'd hit left trigger, wanting to hit left trigger, and I'd hit left button instead. And so I'd bring up the wheel. So it got kind of hairy there for me with that kind of wheel. But it was, yeah, nice that you could switch kind of the weapons you wanted to use. And depending on what area you were in, depending on what boss you were in, you kind of wanted to mix things up, whether it was you know, just using your sword or getting health boosts. Because if you got enough uh, time in a bas- boss battle, you could hide from them far away and you can refill your health. But you maybe not, don't always want that there because you want to be using combat. So you swap that out real quick, put in that big hammer thing that you have. You just kind of cycle through things in the middle of a big giant boss battle. Or you're me and you always have the health thing on there, even when you have like full health cells because you need to heal yourself a lot because you're bad. <laughs> and we started this game on normal. And this game, that is something you should note if you haven't played it yet is that you can't change the difficulty level mid-game. So we listen to What's Good Games podcast a lot, both Steven and I do, and one of the hosts of that was pretty upset because she got deeply into the, you know, several hours into the game and realized she wanted it to be easier, and the only way to do that is to start over. And so you're kind of stuck with it. And, you know, it's not too bad. I I thought it was going to be tough, but I thought that if you utilize your weapons smartly and do the switching that you're just talking about, you know, and that we're, we're really big fans of, then you can navigate the normal difficulty pretty easily. The escape sequences in this game, there are only like three of them, maybe. I don't, are there three? I think there's three. Were there three in the first there's, game? Maybe. The, I feel like there's a lot more in the first game. I feel like there were more in the first game too. They felt a lot easier in this one overall. Yeah, I agree. I think basically. More cinematic, if anything. Yeah. It was more to tell the story rather than... Because it kind of replaced the boss battles, I think, in this one replaced those from the first game. Yeah. And then in, the, in addition, though, one of the new things in this game is these races. So they you would unlock uh, a point in one of the world areas, and if you unlocked both the starting point and then the finishing point, you'd be able to go to the starting line, and you would have to race using kind of whatever the platforming mechanic of that area was. There's a sand area in this one, for example, that is new, and you use a different way of traversing the sand than you have are used to. It's I'm not going to explain it in depth. It's pretty cool experience, honestly. I really liked it. 
but you've got to get used to it. And so you've got to learn how to do that quickly in order to beat this race. And when you beat the race, you get, you know, a special ability or I forgot what you get, but you get something. And there's timed leaderboards. So if you are the kind of person that really wants to compete, you can compete. And the races are cool because they actually have a ghost too that will show you one of the ways that you can easily accomplish beating it in the time frame, but it's also not necessarily the fastest way we found out, Stephen. Yeah, there's definitely at least one race where it was much easier for me, at least, to go a completely, not really completely different, but go a different way than the ghost went and was able to beat him that way. Well, you completely finished it. I'm almost, I'm like right at the very, very end. I haven't gone back to it. I got stuck playing another game that came out and haven't finished it. I need to, need to do that. But since you finished it, no spoilers, but story-wise, comparing this to Ori and the Blind Forest, and just in general, what did you think of this one? This one, I really liked the story. Kind of when, when the last podcast, when we talked about Ori, I had mentioned that it kind of had that Pixar-esque beginning. This starts out with kind of a Pixar-esque beginning, but there's a gut punch in the middle that is just heartbreaking, and it just shakes you to the core, and you kind of get emotionally invested more and then the ending comes and it's just, it wraps everything up so nicely. And it's just, I felt like the story was definitely improved with this one. Yeah, I agree. It's hard to talk about without spoilers, but it packs an emotional wallop several different times. There's some twists in this story that I wasn't exactly expecting. And there are a couple of moments where you get to interact with other characters that are in a, in a cinematic-esque type of gameplay way that was really moving to me. And I think it basically it puts the story of the first game, which was pretty confusing and abstract in a lot of ways, into a lot better context. Like, it gives it context, and it makes me appreciate what happened in the first game and understand it more, because at the beginning of this one, it kind of recaps it in a way that makes a lot of sense. And where it goes in this one is very easy to follow. So I was a big fan of the story, at least up until the ending. I don't know what happens at the very ending. Um, I guess I'll find out soon when I finish it. Also, I felt like the story actually gave the game a purpose. You kind of knew what you were trying to do. You knew you had, you had something to accomplish with this game rather than in the first one. It's just kind of hazy about what you're trying to do and what why you're even on this quest. This one, you know what your quest is. You know what you're trying to do. And you're invested in it emotionally. Yeah, awesome. Well, yeah, I think we highly recommend this one too, right? For sure. It's on Game Pass. Yeah, it's I would, free. I would, the only thing I would maybe not recommend is wait till the patch because, yeah, it's almost painful to play. Yeah, definitely agree with you there. So look for the patch notes, see if it's been updated. If it has, go ahead and give it a shot because, and it's, these are quick games too. That's another cool thing. You know, these are like 12 to 15 hour experiences and you can do that on a weekend. Um, or, you know what? If you're working from home, <laughs> Maybe you can do that while you're working from home. Who knows? <laughs> That's up to you. Apparently, Steven doesn't do that, but I know I do. <laughs> yeah, I try not to. He's more responsible than me. Well, our last section, we have uh, quite a bit of cool stuff that has happened over the last couple of weeks. This tends to happen sometimes when you don't podcast for a little while. And so we're going to go through what has us hyped. All right, I don't really want to go into depth on this one. The PS5 specs came out for the first time, and there was a bit of confusion in the world about how this came down. PlayStation announced, oh, hey, we're going to do this 
video live stream tomorrow to announce the specs. And I honestly don't think it was their fault. I think it was more the media's fault for kind of the way that they reported and ran with this. But it got hyped up to be this big event, right? Like a PlayStation Live event or something. And what it actually was, was Mark Cerny, the kind of head designer of the PS5, PS4, PS3. And he has this completely monotone, like, read you a bedtime story voice. He's in, he's, it's a beautiful voice. Like, it's so soothing. And it's just him talking about teraflops and speed and GPUs and all of this technical jargon. And he, he starts off the thing by going on like a 20, 30 minute history of PlayStation 1, 2, 3. It was, it was terrible. <laughs> like, not terrible in the sense that they did a bad job, but it was terrible to watch. It was not at all entertaining and it was really hard to understand for us because we don't care. Is it powerful? Yes. Is it fast? Yes. Cool. Are you going to show me what it looks like? No. That sucks. Are you going to tell me what new games are coming out for it? No. That sucks. So it wasn't the kind of information that I think you and I probably wanted. It told us how many teraflops it was going to be. It told us about it's going to have an, uh, a solid straight hard drive, which basically this and the Xbox are going to be very close to the same power level. And it's going to come down to who has the best games in the next generation. They're both going to be awesome consoles. And I figure that we can kind of deep dive into this as it gets closer to the end of the year, Stephen. Like we'll talk about Xbox and PlayStation as the new consoles are going to come out. But we'll wait until like all has been revealed for both of them. And then we'll kind of compare. For now, we just don't have all the details. Yeah, I think this was something I didn't even really bother getting hyped for. I think because what I'd heard was it was supposed to be their GDC talk. So I figured it was going to be more technical, not really give too much like hype for what consumers would want. It's more of the towards the developers itself. So that's why it was supposed to be done the GDC. But since that got canceled because of the virus going around, that they just kind of that was going to be more technical. So I kind of just even skipped it just in general. Yeah, well, lucky you. <laughs> Next, we had a couple of Nintendo events I want to mention. The Nintendo Indie Showcase came out. This is something that is typically tied to GDC as well. And, uh, you know, they announced quite a few games in the past. They've usually kind of had one big drop of like a big reveal. I don't know if that was there this year. Did any of the Nintendo Indies excite you? No, when I watched, there's nothing there that kind of got me. Maybe that Baldo game, just because of the way it looked. But I guess going into it, I was kind of hyped for, we're going to get a sports story release date. We're going to get the Hollow Knight sequel release date. That's so I got I hyped about. stuff for it, and we didn't get any of that. So kind of left me disappointed. Yeah, those were the big titles that I was kind of hoping slash expecting as well. And we didn't get those. Uh, there are a couple that caught my eye. Baldo was one of them. The one you just mentioned, it's a beautiful looking kind of watercolor esque game. Uh, it looks very Miyazaki like uh, it seems to be a game that is much like Nino Kuni minus the Pokemon. Maybe uh, it definitely one that has my eye and I will probably want to play. There's a game called the last campfire that I'm not a hundred percent about what the gameplay is, but it's the next game from hello games and Sean Murray the creator of No Man's Sky, so I'm pretty excited to find out what this is because he is a brilliant, brilliant man. And so whatever it is, I think that it's going to be innovative and interesting beyond maybe what the trailer makes it look like. There is a game called Sky, which is the next game from that game company 
the makers of Journey and Flower and I think Abzu as well. We've played all their games. We love their games in my family. My daughter actually beta tested this um, prior to it releasing on Apple. It was an exclusive for a while. And she said that she's hoping it will play better on Switch because of just bigger screen, better control functionality and stuff. Uh, but like I said, I, we love their games, their experiences, and they're usually soothing. And so I'm ready for another one of those. Right now it's a good time for that. So when it comes out pretty soon, definitely going to check it out. And then there were a few board game style games that caught my eye uh, just from I'm a big board game player, fan, collector, whatever. And uh, there's one that is called Feria that looks sort of like a tactical board game mixed with Hearthstone. In fact, the cards look literally just like Hearthstone cards. Then there is a game called Wingspan, which is uh, the port of a board game that is really, really awesome. I will miss the tactile feel of some of the board game components, but I'm excited to play this one digitally. I think I'll get to it more often that way, and I highly recommend people check it out. Wingspan is one of the better board games to come out in the last few years. And then there's another board game that is being ported over called Dicey Dungeons, which is a dungeon crawler and rolling dice, which are two things that I absolutely love. And so that one looks like it's going to be a cute little game to play with my kids probably on the couch as well. After that, today, actually, the day we're recording this, we got a surprise Nintendo Mini Direct out of nowhere. No one knew it was coming, and that was pretty cool. They had some big announcements in this one, Stephen, and even though they called it a Mini Direct, I mean, there's there's a lot in this. So what caught your eye the most in the new Nintendo Direct? Actually, for me, there wasn't, too once again, not too much that caught my eye with this one. The kind of things that stood out were... Ring Fit Adventure. I have Ring Fit Adventure. I've never played it yet, but it looks like they're adding some new modes. They're going to add some running modes to it. We can just, you don't have to go through the story. You can do individual workouts. There's like a, kind of looks like it's a Beat Saber-esque mode where you just play tunes from like Mario games, Zelda, Splatoon. It's kind of like a nice fun add-on. So maybe that'll get me finally to jump into that game. Uh, they announced they're going to, their first, uh, new, Super Super Smash Bros. Fighter for the next DLC expansion pack will be an ARMS character. And they said that will be coming out in June. So Smash Brothers is always a fun game to fire up, especially with all the characters that are in that game. And then they announced uh, the release date for Xenoblade Chronicles the Definitive Edition will be coming out on May 29th. And they're adding an epilogue to that game that's new. It wasn't in the original game that came out on the Wii and then was ported to the 3DS, which... I do own it on the 3DS, but I've never played it. But I know a lot of people are excited for this series because they've come out with a game on the Wii U. And then Xenoblade Chronicles 2 did come out on the Switch, I think, last year. So I know there's definitely a lot of people that are looking forward to that one. It's a series that I, yeah, I own the Wii U game and the 3DS game, but I've never played them. But I know yeah, people are excited for them. What are you looking forward to? Well, the Xenoblade one, I actually was confused at first. I didn't know if it was a Xenoblade 2 Definitive Edition, but you're saying it's the first game, which is makes more sense. Uh, I played yeah, a little bit of Xenoblade Chronicles 2, and I, I really liked it, but I didn't continue it. It's, it's a huge game, and ultimately Breath of the Wild kind of took over as a first play in that zone. I own almost all of the big RPGs, though, for the Switch, and... It's a goal to eventually kind of work my way through most of them. The Xenoblade game looks amazing, and it definitely caught my attention. 
what really stood out to me is some big ports. So three collections are coming that were announced. A Borderlands collection, which is going to bring Borderlands, Borderlands 2, and Borderlands pre-sequel to the Switch. A Bioshock collection, uh, one of my favorite series of all time. It's going to bring all three Bioshock games. And then an XCOM 2 collection that's going to bring an XCOM 2 plus its DLC and its expansion. Uh, that one in particular is a perfect marriage for Switch. Anything like tactical like that, like it's, it's like Fire Emblem-esque in the way that you play the game is uh, wonderful. We were talking on Twitter with some friends, though, about how you know, XCOM 2 is essentially the same type of game that they made Mario and Rabbids out of, and so both of us own that, and so we'll probably go to that first, but XCOM 2 is a tremendous tactical strategy game, and I think it's really cool that it's coming to the Switch. I also think it's really cool that they're getting the Borderlands and Bioshock collections not going to be what I want to play there because I value performance and graphics for those games above all. But the thing is portability, man. So people that have big commutes, this is what's really cool about the Switch. You're not really losing that much. These are older games, right? So you're not losing that much performance and graphics. And so if you haven't played the Bioshock games and you're always on the go and you can play them on your Switch. That's amazing. And I'm super stoked about that for people out there who want to do that. There's also uh, Burnout Paradise Remastered coming, which is cool. That was a, a favorite um, racing game of mine. That Ring Fit Adventure, <laughs> you're going to have to fire that up at some point and tell me how it is, because I want it. After watching the trailer of this one, I want it. There was a song from Persona in there that I heard as well and I was like man this looks so cool and I really want to know if it works as well as it looks like it would apparently though you can't find it anymore it's sold out I think everywhere so even if you did want to buy it today I don't think you could figures we're all stuck inside trying to find ways to exercise and I can't get a ring fit see you've got one you need to take advantage of it buddy um yeah and then uh, other than that D- demos. So the biggest surprise of this one for me was the Bravely Fa- Default 2 uh, has a demo available today. It, Bravely Default is a series that the developers eventually came out. They made Bravely Default and another game or two. I think they were all for handheld systems previously, but then they made Octopath Traveler, one of the best RPGs of recent years. And it kind of takes some of the ideas in the combat of Bravely Default and it puts them into an 8-bit pixelated uh, world instead of the way that Bravely Default is. The thing about Bravely Default, and I played the demo, I loved it. It's definitely on my radar. I'm definitely getting this game because I love turn-based JRPGs. It's like one of my most favorite genres that exist, and we don't get enough of them anymore. It's got good old-fashioned RPG turn-based battle system, but it, and it, with a special mechanic. And the thing that's cool about this one is you can either attack or you default, which basically you choose to take a defensive stance with your character. When you choose to do the default, you get a brave point. And in these points are things that build up. You can stack them up to four times. And then what happens is when you finally decide to unleash, you can pick four consecutive attacks, and you can make them all different. It can be attack, attack, heal, attack, or attack, special attack, 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 whatever combo you want, but you get to choose four, and then you just boom, right? Back to back to back to back. 
totally changes the tide of battle. But in doing so, you're you're still vulnerable. So when you pick the default choice, you kind of go into a defensive stance that specifically like ups your defense. It gives you like a 25% chance or something. But you're getting hit. You know, you're taking it and you're not giving it out. And so it's all about that balance of figuring out how long you want to wait before you unleash all your attacks at once. It's it's a super fun strategy element that in Octopath works amazing. So I know that it's going to work great here. It was fun to play with in the demo. And it just is a really, really satisfying flow to combat. You also have something really cool with the way that the games are made where you get a job and a sub job that you can switch between at all times. Not only do they change what kind of weapons you can use, but they change your character look. They'll, they'll costume that they're wearing will be different, which is always fun to have that visually represented when you change a, a class in a game like this. And so mixing and matching the different jobs amongst your four characters gives you like endless combat options and combinations. It's, it's a super cute game, gorgeous backgrounds and one of the things that stuck out to me in the demo is that when you go into like cut scenes for dialogue, I don't know, you know, how familiar people listening are with JRPGs, but typically your screen will go to this part of dialogue. You'll have dialogue blocks in the center. You'll have a character on the left talking to a character on the right, and you'll click through while they talk. In this one, they actually are animated. The characters are moving and their mouths are moving with their voices, which is actually very unique. Usually they're static. They're just portraits every once in a while will change even in fire emblem they don't move like that and so um it was pretty neat and i am really really hyped for that after playing the demo and speaking of demos the other demo i played on the switch was trials of mana that remake uh, is a 3d action remake of that game is coming out in a couple months and they put a demo of it out over the weekend and so i checked it out realized that it's definitely more of an action rpg and it's it plays a lot like Kingdom Hearts, and at this point in my life, it's not for me, but it seems to be implemented and ported over really well. Looks like it's a really good remake, so one that I would highly recommend for fans of that game and fans of action RPGs in general. And generally, I just wanted to I just wanted to talk for a second about demos, man, because not only do we get these two Switch demos, and the Switch has been really good about putting out demos for their games, but we also, in the last couple of weeks, we got... A Resident Evil 3 remake demo this weekend. They're putting out a demo for the Resident Evil 3 multiplayer mode. We got a Final Fantasy 7 remake demo, which, brother, I played like five times. And I'm so glad because I didn't know if I was going to like the action-oriented combat in Final Fantasy 7 remake because I love turn-based so much. But by playing that demo, I realized I loved it. And I... It, totally sold me on the game whereas i was completely waffling before that bring the demo back is what i'm saying right here right now is demos are so important and can help your sales significantly and i do not understand why games don't make more of them yeah i agree definitely need more demos because i downloaded the final fantasy one i haven't played it yet but yeah that's a game right now i'm not gonna get but maybe now that i have the demo maybe i'll fire that up and maybe it'll change my mind that's the nice, powerful thing with demos, and I definitely think there should be more of them. There's a lot of games that's like, eh, that doesn't look like a game I'm going to like, but everyone says it's good. Yeah, maybe I'll give it a try. 
because the demo will give me a nice taste. If I don't like it, I can move on. But hey, maybe it'll give me to buy the game if it's actually good. Absolutely. And sometimes they're even extra cool, like in The Trials of Mana, I believe it is, and in Octopath Traveler, which was the previous game by the Bravely Default 2 team. In those demos, you could actually save your progress. Like you would essentially you were starting the game early and you were getting a jump on it. So when you got your full copy of the game, you would just continue from where you left off, which is a really neat uh, thing as well that some some of the demos do. But yeah, I'm I'm all for this, man. I'm a, I'm a demo fiend. I will I will play a demo for things that I just don't even care about because it's there. And like I said, there you go. You know, sometimes you're gonna you're gonna get me and you, and we're gonna end up throwing down our money and buying a game that we didn't no idea we would like, but we got to try it, and there we have it. So. Uh, just some props, I guess, to both Nintendo and PlayStation for putting out these demos in the first place. And keep it up. We love it. Well, that's it, brother. We have talked ourselves to death. We've been catching up. I am so glad we got to do this. And it feels good to be back. It feels good to hopefully be getting into a swing. We've got new games coming out frequently over the next couple months. So lots to talk about. Lots to dive into in the backlog as well, of course, that never, ever, ever goes away. So we'll always have something there. I guess that's that's it, man. Um, anything you got to say before we sign off? No, I think we talked a lot tonight. There's been a lot going on. So let's get back to gaming. Absolutely. You should do that too, listeners. Right after you make sure you hit that subscribe button, tell your friends about us, leave us a five-star review, etc., But until next time, just remember that it doesn't matter if you're playing something old or new, you've got to be gaming.